have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans. We're working our way through Romans, but what I would like you to do is turn to Romans chapter 1. We started Romans chapter 1 about five months ago, four, four and a half months ago. We've been running through Romans. That's really fast. But our, all that we've pushed towards, all that we are interested in is summarized for us in Romans 1, 16 and 17. It's the theme of Romans. And I want to expose it to you again as we start. We memorize this. You may know it in your head already. But it says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And we've been through this letter from Paul, this amazing letter that has proved to us, that has pulled us away from self-righteousness, from any thought that our righteousness means anything to God and towards the idea that we stand in the righteousness of Christ alone, given to us. That's where we live. And we live there, and we know that it's true. And so finally, we've come to the end of the epistle, chapter 14. That's where we are this morning. And we're looking at how that truth rocks solid in our heart this morning. Leads us towards thinking differently about how we're going to act towards each other. That's what we're looking at. That how this gospel, this new relationship of knowing that it's only Christ's righteousness that lets me stand and only Christ's righteousness that lets you stand, how that impacts how we interact with each other. So last week, we we looked at that, and I just, for example, when I first came to college, I came from Hawaii. So I walked into church in my very nice attire. It was a Hawaiian shirt. Hawaiian shirts are nice. But I walked into church on a Sunday morning into the East Coast where I had come to New Jersey, and everybody was in a suit and tie. Not the ladies, the guys. They were mostly black suits and ties. I mean, they're pretty. And here I'm in a white shirt, and I kind of looked around. Uh oh. And so the next week, I came in my suit and tie. That's what I did. And see, so, but what I started thinking was, I, I, because I talked to people, I said, man, if you're serious about Jesus, we're serious people. We wear serious clothes. Everybody in here is going, <laughs> uh-oh. But I bought into it. You see, and I was a young, younger in my faith, and so I bought in that serious Christians wear serious clothes. And so I started judging people as they came in. Well, are they serious about Jesus based on what they wore? And we looked last time when we met together, That's a good example of me being weak because Paul says that's wrong. But the interesting thing is that he says that's weak and yet still I could, I could love Jesus and be there. And the surprise last week that even though we have strength and weakness, we have convictions that sometimes aren't right, we're to be welcoming of each other. I'm not supposed to try and say, I'm going to argue with you over what you have conviction about what you wear. You wear what you want to wear. If you want to, hey, hey, so anybody, I'm sorry, if you wore a coat and tie today, now you're probably feeling this big. 
But no, that's fantastic. Wear what you think you should wear to be seriously worshiping God, to be singing these amazing songs about his redemption and his glory and his love. And wow, I worship and I worship from the heart. That's what matters, I know. But if you're convicted, you need to wear a certain thing. We saw last week, do that. Just don't judge your brother or sister who shows up in flip-flops. Because you can... They have their convictions too, right? And even though we are to be fully convinced, we are, we saw last week, to be focused on the big truths. When you get to heaven, you're not going to be arguing over what color shirt you wore on Sunday, March 3rd to worship. It's going to be about, does Jesus love you? Does he know you? Do you get the gospel? Has he, has he set his favor upon you? Do you actually know the, the amazing truth of the gospel? So we have these big truths that unify us and these small truths outside of our core that we don't argue over. We just have convictions and we follow them. So if you think you can't eat cereal, oh, I'm bum. I love cold cereal. But that's okay. You cannot eat that cold cereal. But I'll, in my own home, I may be chowing down on grape nuts because I like it. So that we saw that last week. That's what we looked at. We looked at the amazing thing that the weaker brother is the one who's tighter behaviorally, and yet, you know what? Jesus died for the weak. So that's okay. We don't try and push and poke. We just are convicted in our own mind about what it is the Lord wants us to do. But I want to make sure you see this morning that, and I proclaim it to you, that you are free. It is for freedom that Jesus Christ set us free. Let me say that again. It is for freedom that Jesus Christ set us free. We're free. You can do things that aren't sin. There's nothing that comes into you that's going to hurt you. You are, don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. You say, Dax, you're going off. No, I'm quoting you a Bible verse. Galatians 5, verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So we start there this morning. Start there again. You say, okay, I get it. I'm free. I can do. So what should go in your head is, I can do anything. Not license, not against God, not to say, no, I'm against God. I can enjoy life through anything that comes my way. I can choose to say, I'm trusting God. Lord, thank you for this thing. Thank you for your stuff. Thank you for your creation. I enjoy it. I give you thanks. I don't use it as an excuse to go against you. I just say, Lord, I'm free. Oh, the grace of Jesus Christ that has set me free. How wonderful this morning. You're free. So why would you ever give up that blood-bought freedom? Guess what? You will. You should. And that's this morning as we move into verse 13 of chapter 14. So take a look with me in chapter 14. That's where we're headed is, I'm free because of Jesus. I rejoice. Why limit the freedom that my Savior bought for me? And that's because there's things that are more important than freedom. And we get this, but it's good to drive it into our hearts that we lovingly and willingly limit behavior not to hurt someone that Jesus Christ died for. So look with me at verse 13. We'll read that first paragraph. It says, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. 
I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus, nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. So let's just walk through this, understand what he's saying and where he's going. In verse 13, he says first, decide in your head and in your heart never to stumble your brother. That's really important. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on anyone any longer, but rather decide not to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. Those are synonyms. See, the reality is, even though we declare from here and we say with full conviction in our heart, you are free, not everybody, people are different in their ability to really internalize truth, especially when it runs counter to maybe what they grew up with. You know, I came in from Hawaii to this church. Maybe someone who'd grown up in the church all their life, it's a tradition that what you wear is super important. That is the weak brother, and yet Paul's call has been to stop judging each other on non-essentials. And there's a lot of non-essentials, huh? We looked at some last week. There's a lot of non-essentials. Meat associated to idols are here, celebrating holidays or feast days or Sabbaths. For us, that translates into things like what we wear to service, what music we listen to, what we eat, what we drink, what holidays we celebrate. And not passing judgment means realizing that if Jesus Christ the only God has accepted your brother or your sister, then you need to accept him too, even though they think something funny, right? Even though they're weaker than you might be. So I don't want to put, you don't want to put a stumbling block in the way of anyone, right? And I'm not sure what that means exactly yet, but but I know I, we can't judge each other. It's connected to that. Don't hinder your brother. So in the midst of my Christian living, I'm wondrously free in Christ, but I'm de- don't want to hurt my fellow believer. So we're all there. I'm free. I don't want to hurt my fellow believer. What does that look like? So he, he's going to tell us. So he says the next piece in 14. I know and am persuaded that the Lord Jesus, nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. This is an amazing statement. There is no unclean. You cannot get unholy by what you touch or handle. Christ is awesome. Jesus said this. This is directly from Jesus' teaching. Go back and take a look with me. Turn back to Mark chapter 7. Mark is the second book of the New Testament, the second gospel. And in chapter 7, Jesus is speaking. And he says something in verse 15. So look at it with me. He's talking to the people, and Jesus says in verse 15, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. So the disciples ask him, what what were you talking about? In verse 18, he says, do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? Thanks for the image, Jesus. That's God. He's talking about going to the bathroom. That's amazing. Thus he declared all foods clean. That's Mark's statement about Jesus. So you have not just Christ himself clearly saying nothing is unclean. Nothing that you handle 
makes you unclean before God. Nothing that you touch because you put it in your mouth and it goes away and it's not your heart. Nothing. And, and even Mark, make sure you heard that, thus he declared everything was okay to eat. I know and am persuaded back in Romans that the, in the Lord Jesus, this is in Christ who himself taught this, that nothing is unclean in itself. Oh, wow. Oh, such freedom we have. I can't get unholy by what I touch. But look, what is clean can become unclean. That's verse 14. Nothing is unclean except you can make it unclean. You can take something that is good, that God has declared clean, and you and I can make it unclean. How does it become unclean? Because of wrong thinking, right? Isn't that right? That's what we looked at last time, this weaker brother piece. If you think it's unclean, then it becomes unclean for you. That's, that's what he's saying. So if principle number one is true, you never want to stumble your brother. And then you see that even though everything is clean, to your brother or sister who thinks wrongly, that clean thing that you're enjoying is unclean. Then what are you going to do? This is the people over freedoms part. Because Jesus made you free. They're not thinking rightly. I know what I'm tempted to do. We talked about this last week. Set them straight. Hey, you, this is clean. That's not what Paul says in the power of the Holy Spirit. In verse 15, he says, if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are supposed to set him straight. No, that's not. It says you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, don't destroy the one for whom Christ died. If your brother is stumbling, don't destroy him. You see, if you put your freedom over your brother, you're not walking in love. Your freedom doesn't trump people. Why? Here's the wonderful why that puts us back in the gospel. Because if Jesus died for that brother or sister who thinks what you are doing is unclean, then they're more important than anything else you're doing, right? The reality that they don't think rightly about this side issue doesn't mean you're free to go hurt them. Now, before we look at this, this is a big deal. And this is, this pushes at what we think because I'm, I'm an American. I feel like I should do what I, what I want to do. I'm individual and too bad. But that's not Christianity. But before we go there, understand what he's saying. You don't want to destroy your fellow believer. That's not the same as disagreeing, right? You can disagree with your fellow believer. In fact, he's just come off saying we should each have our convictions and those convictions should be strong. So it should be that you and I have convictions that are not the same. One person is convinced you should wear a, a coat and tie to service. The other person is convinced that you should wear, wear shorts because it's more freeing. Those two people have different convictions and yet they shouldn't divide. They should realize we have deeper unity and I'm going to wear my shorts, and I'm going to wear my tie. That's what he's after. But that's not disagreement then. They can disagree, and, and he's not meant to be like, oh, well, you think that, that I should wear a tie, so I'm going to. You don't have to give away your freedom in Christ to be a sla- enslaved to someone else's opinion. That's where this tends to go. That's where if you've lived enough in the church, the lowest common denominator wins. That's just how things go. 
So for example, let's take an example so you see what I'm saying. So for example, you look around and you see somebody, and there, I'm not pointing, I'm being careful not to point. You see someone who's wearing a hat in church. Oh my. Someone comes up and says, you're wearing a hat in church, that offends me. What they mean is not, you're destroying my faith, right? What they mean with that offense is, I don't think that you are glorifying God in what you're doing. You're not respecting God. That's a judgment statement. Perhaps the Lord loves hats, right? There's not something there that says, says something different about you not wearing hats, but someone will come to you and say, you're stumbling me, stop. But our behavior change, our accepting limitation, it's not based on who's loudest in stating their preference. It's not, right? Because the proper answer is, I'm convinced I'm, if this is where the person is, I'm convinced that I'm, I'm serving the Lord in this. And you're convinced you're serving the Lord in this, so you shouldn't wear a hat, but I'm free to do anything if I think it's glorifying God. That's hard because I do think that there's something respectful about not wearing a hat in service. So it's hard for me to accept that. And yet at the same time, I know that what I'm supposed to be is convicted in my own heart and not judge my brother. If I go over there and say, you need to submit to my opinion of what you should do, that's not what the passage is talking about. It's saying that the person wearing a hat shouldn't destroy their brother. So if the person comes up, right? And he thinks, oh, someone comes up to you. That's a really nice hat. Oh, Man, I never thought I could wear hats in service, but I want to be like you. I really, you're my hero. I'm wearing a hat next week. Man, I'll just, maybe the Lord, do you really think it's okay? And you see that their conscience is against it. This is silly, right? But the, but it goes to, to straight things and to hard things. That someone who, who is weak sees you doing something and thinks, oh, I'm going to do it too, even though I think it's wrong. I want to be in the cool group. I want to be in the group that is is looking smart and nice with that nice, crazy, good hat. And so I'm going to be just like you. When in their heart they think, this is probably wrong, but you know what? I don't care. I just got to be part of this cool group. You are destroying your brother when you do that. The person with the hat should take it off because it's destructive to the person. It's against their conscience. If you pull somebody from their weak faith, maybe they never had faith, but they're here listening to Christ and you're pulling them away from doing what they think is the best thing in the Lord. And you're saying to them, no, I know better. Come, violate your conscience and stand over here with me instead of with what you think God wants. Don't do it. See, freedoms, verse 16. Do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as as evil. Freedoms are not to be a tool for evil. You're not tearing down your brother. We care way more, way more, don't we, about my fellow believer, brother or sister, than I do about a hat. Than I do about the beer. Than I do about the t-shirt. Than I do about the car than I do about the music style. Or at least at least we should care way more about our brother. And take this from the spiritual realm to minute to the physical one. This is an easy to see. There's a little girl and she's allergic to peanuts. You love peanuts. And in front of her, you're sitting there chowing down on peanuts. I love peanuts. Mm, this is a big one, huh? And she's sitting there watching you. 
and you're eating peanuts. And she just longs. She loves peanuts. She's never been able to eat them because she's allergic and she'll die. And you're sitting there eating your peanuts. And then you turn your back and you walk over here. And while you turn the back, you leave your jar of peanuts open. What does she do? She runs and eats a peanut. And she dies. Would you ever, ever chow down on peanuts in front of someone who has a severe peanut allergy and really wants to eat them? It's just looking at you with longing. Never! Right? Never. That's this. Don't destroy the one for whom Jesus Christ died. Okay, he's not done. He keeps going. Not just people over freedoms, relationships over food. It's a similar thought, but he's not done. So we see this second piece of God's kingdom and the fruit of the Spirit, not in culinary delights. Verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. This is its own little paragraph in the text. It's almost like a little central piece because you saw there in verse 15, do not let what you eat destroy the one for whom Christ died. And we're going to see here in verse 20, don't destroy the work of God. And in between is this little reason piece. It's sort of the central, ah, Isn't this true? And it's a remarkable statement. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Your life in the rule and reign of God isn't primarily about what you eat or drink. You know that. That's kind of not surprising to us. Your presence at the banquet of the Lamb isn't primarily about the food. Your life is about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is relational fruit. Love. That's loving each other. Joy, that's joy that others can see. Peace, that's peace and harmony with each other. There's things there that are relational, right? So you and I believing in the gospel, believing in Jesus Christ, it means I'm united to him and me and a whole bunch of other people. And those people are more important than anything I'll eat or drink. We, if you love Jesus Christ, in this room, right now, you're a part of the kingdom of God. You're going to live forever. The loaf of bread and my, um, forget the loaf of bread, the bottle of beer. It's not going to last forever. You may let it sit there for a long time. Eventually it's gone. But your brother or sister in Christ, oh, forever. And so those pieces become more important to us. And we invest our lives in the gospel saying, I'm going to go after this. In fact, it reflects my salvation This isn't something to strive for. This is not a list to do. Look at how it's connected to your salvation. Turn back with me to Romans chapter 5. Take a look. Romans chapter 5. Remember what he said there in 17. The kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So we look at chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been given righteousness, justified, since we have righteousness by faith, that's the word, righteousness, we have peace with God, Oh, there's peace through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice. There's joy in the hope of the glory of God. You see, righteousness and peace and joy are a central component of us having 
open eyes to the wonder of the righteousness given to us in Christ. And so that flows out of us. Those are the pieces that the Holy Spirit is doing in us, and they are directly connected to the reality of our salvation in Jesus. We have received righteousness from God in the person of Christ. Show it in the Spirit. We have received peace with God in the person of Christ. Show it in the Spirit. We have received joy from God in the person of Christ. Show it in the Spirit. This is just showing who you are. So this isn't another list to do. Here, go do these things. It's what happens when you're in a relationship. You and I are now a son and a daughter of God. I wish I could handle that better, that I'm, I'm adopted and an heir and forever a son of God. And if I really grabbed that, what comes out is this. It's acceptable to God to limit your freedoms for the sake of your brother. It's acceptable to God. That's what he says, right? Verse 18. It's approved by men to show love this way. The little girl, just think of that little girl with a peanut allergy. And if she could say, if she saw, she said, oh, thank you for not eating peanuts in front of me. Thank you. I have an allergy and it's so tempting to me and I could die. You're, you're, you're being so loving to me by not doing that because it's such a hard temptation for me. Acceptable to man. It's not really about the food, this liberty. It's about your faith, though, wanting others to grow in faith because relationships are more important than food. And so that's where he goes. Faith overall. Look at this last piece, verse 19. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. So here's clear help on what our lives are to be like right now. Peace and building each other up. That means excitedly focus on Jesus and what matters and giving grace to each other and everything else. Do not, verse 20, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It's good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Realize he's repeating himself. That's that important to Paul. Don't get this wrong. He says, everything is clean. There is nothing by touching or handling that hurts your relationship with Jesus Christ. In fact, it's, it's worth it for us to look. This is a contagious holiness. It is different for us. This is a different way of thinking than ever used to be, that we are free and that what we touch doesn't make us clean. The Old Testament wasn't like this. If you want to, take a look with me. You can also just listen, but if you know where Haggai is, take a look and go back to Haggai. Haggai is one of the minor prophets, one of the twelve. And in Haggai chapter 2, I would like to read something to you. Haggai only has two chapters. Haggai is before Zechariah and after Zephaniah, right snuggled there in the middle. And listen, just listen to it. If you don't want to look, scribble it down. You can look later. But Haggai chapter 2, verse 13, listen. Then Haggai said, If someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? Speaking of some food and some stuff there, some bread and some stew. And the priest answered and said, it does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, so it is with his people and with the nation before me, with every work of their hands, what they offer is unclean. 
See, Haggai's saying, hey, if you touch unclean things, don't you become unclean? And the priests say, of course you do. Then you have Jesus. Then you have Jesus. Flip over to Mark chapter 1. Look what happens with Jesus. Here's, here's the Son of God who comes, and he's fully God, but he's fully human. He followed the law perfectly, we believe. We see he had no sin in him. And in Mark chapter 1, verse 40, it's when Jesus heals the leper, but the leper comes to Jesus in verse 40, and, and, and you know, leprosy is unclean. And the leper comes to him, implores Jesus, and kneeling down and says to Jesus, if you will, you can make me clean. And moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Think about this. Think about and get driven in your heart that when Jesus went and touched somebody who was unclean, did he become unclean? No. No, the thing he touched became clean. Say, well, that's Jesus. He was God. He, I know he's fully man. I know that, that he was that, but, but he was God. And so, so it, it can't be that I can get unclean. Can't I? Can't I? Can't I? There's something there. No, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We want to apply it to ourselves. Paul applies it to ourselves. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 14. So that's Jesus. What about me? And so Jesus, when he touched the unclean, he made it clean. And he said, and Mark said, no, nothing is unclean for you now. But we have trouble believing it. And yet it's true. And Paul says it again in Romans. So here we are in 1 Corinthians 7, 14. Look at this. For the unbelieving husband is made holy. You could say is clean. Because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy, is clean because of her husband. Otherwise, the kids would be unclean, but as it are, they are holy. Clean. Do you see that? That Wow, that applies to me now. I've got the Holy Spirit. I, I've, I'm in Christ. Nothing is unclean for me. That's the truth. See, but the reality that everything is clean doesn't mean that I can't make somebody stumble. Somebody who's weaker. Jesus came for the weak. There's no shame in being weak. Jesus Christ came for the weak. Weaker is more limited in conscience. And so when you see that in your brother and you see that they don't think something is right, oh, they need to, they need to stay there. They, you don't need to make them do to prove to you that something's clean. Right, Because now we're back in verse 20 of Romans 14. Do not for the sake of food that's clean to you. Destroy the work of God. His work in a brother who's through time on their own path of determining and walking rightly before God. Everything is clean, but it's wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. So that stumbling is pulling him to fall. So the one who knows it's okay to eat anything, he doesn't drink whiskey around an alcoholic, right? He doesn't proudly show his tattoos to someone who's struggled with gang markings. He doesn't look at the Sears catalog with someone who easily falls into immorality. 
There's lots of examples because when we do these things, we tempt our fellow believer to do them too. And that's the thing you're trying hard to avoid. Again, it's not bowing down to peer pressure. It's not bowing down to sinful judging. It's where your brother's like, ooh, aren't you being unwise? Um, no, it's, everything's clean. Our heart for us is that we stand confidently and wholly in Christ alone. And that involves excitedly wanting to love and encourage our brothers and our sisters. This is not about food and drink. This is faith. Because look at verse 22. It says, the faith that you have, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Here's the key. Know your conviction. We're not here in this church to make you go against your conviction unless your conviction is against the core principles of the gospel. Jesus Christ who he is, what he's done. Oh, I want to talk to you about that. I want you to be overwhelmed with it. I want you to be so excited and glad in your heart for what Jesus Christ has done for you that you and I say, I'll sacrifice anything. It's wonderful when you don't have a check over what you approve of. And so if you have a check over what you're approving of, stop. And say, Lord, I want to follow you and I'll follow that check. I I, I won't do it. There is a little question here as we end. Why is it that we do something that we think might be wrong? Why is it that I do that? Why in my head, if I think something's wrong before the Lord, do I do it anyway? And I don't want you to be pulled by a message like this that says, you know what? Everything's clean. If it's not sure in your heart that something is clean, you think, oh, going to the movies, I can't do that. That's evil and wrong. And I know in my heart there's wrong, but boy, pastor says it's clean, so I'm going to go. No, that's not the message this morning for you. Because often we do things not because we think it's most glorifying to God, which we should do, that's where we should be, but we do things because we, we, we cave into peer pressure. We look around us, we say, I'm going to try and fit in. And so then I elevate other people's opinion of something over what I think is right before God. And I'm here today to say to you, do what is right before God. Don't get pressured into doing what you don't think is right. Going ahead and eating meat you think is unclean is, is eating that doesn't come from faith. And actually it's identified as sin if you do it. Is that radical? Just think with me just for a second. I know we're almost done, but I know it's hard to engage our minds, but Think with me for a second about what it means that actually meat is clean, but you think wrongly and think, oh, that meat had been sacrificed to idols, so I don't think I should eat it. But what, So when you eat it, it actually becomes sin for you to eat it when you're wrong. It's not, so it's not about the actual physical thing. It's about your heart before God over what you're doing. Keep sure you're following your heart about glorifying God in your body. Make sure you stay there. And for those of us who are who are strong, it's not about forcing the truth in these small matters onto someone because it doesn't matter if it's true or not for them. 
It just matters if their conscience condemns them. If inside they're like, no, I don't think this is quite right. I just don't think. And, and so my job is not to convince somebody. My job is to say, hey, act on your conscience before the Lord. Oh, that we might trust God and not turn from him and act in other ways except faith, except in our conviction of what actually matters for him because that's what will condemn us. Our heart motives. When we try and not act from faith, oh, I go wrong. Saving faith, I'm confident not only that God's forgiven my sin through the death of Jesus, but that God is at work in the everyday's affairs of my life and that what I'm doing right now is resting on his promises and knowing that he's doing good for me. And so I can just live with conviction to say my life is for Jesus. Be there. It's amazing because what that means from our passage, don't lose me, is sin is not a list. It's not, is it? Coming to church might be sin in a specific situation. Staying home might be sin in a specific situation. What's your heart? Eating steak may be sin. Eating steak may not be sin. That For you, either side, it's about are you living by faith, by your conviction in Christ Jesus, in the gospel of what's appropriate for you to do. Be convicted, do it. This is our new perspective today. The first thing is that everything is clean. No worries in what you touch or handle. The second thing is that the clean can become unclean because some of us have convictions that are not right. The third thing is loving your brother or sister is more important than being right about your freedom. The fourth thing is giving up your freedom is temporary around them so as not to stumble them. You see Paul, he's doing this, he's doing this, he's doing, oh, oh, I don't want to stumble you. I won't drink anything around you. I will abstain. No, I would never want to hurt you. And then in the privacy of his own home, he's popping a beer. Wink. Because it's not unclean to him. Stumbling doesn't mean that they, they, people don't know you don't agree with them. Stumbling's not pushing them, even inadvertently, to go against what they think is right. That's what you want to do. You don't want to push people to go against what they think is right. That's today. I call us this morning to be so impacted by the grace of God. It's all about Jesus' righteousness for us. That's our whole life. So we can enjoy what God has given us, everything before him. But relationships trump that enjoyment. So if your brother is stumbling in their conscience, oh, treat them with love. If your sister is stumbling in their conscience, oh, treat them with love. That's it. Let's pray.